Today I'm talking to Dr. Brian Thatcher, co-author with Kathleen Wabick of At the Bedside of the Sick and Dying, a guide for parish ministry, family, and friends. Dr. Thatcher, it's good talking with you today. Thank you, Chris. Great to be here. I think we should probably give our listeners some backstory here. In 1996, you founded the Eucharistic Apostles of the Divine Mercy, now an apostolate of the American province of the Congregation of Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception, or based up here in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. How did that all come about? Well, Chris, in the early 90s, I fell in love with the message of divine mercy and uh, began forming prayer groups using the Diary of St. Faustina with some scripture and catechism. Things began to t take off, and Father Michelenko invited me up in 1998 to talk to the Marians. Mm -hmm. And one thing led to the other, and uh, we became an apostle of, of the Marians in 1998. And then a few years later, we actually uh, were written in the statutes in Rome as an official part of the order. So, cool. It's been an interesting trip. Absolutely. Well, and, and it is such an important work spreading the Divine Mercy message and devotion. So you've been involved with through a lot of the really consequential years, the canonization of Faustina, the establishment of Mercy Sunday, the Jubilee Year of Mercy. What's it been like having that ringside seat to all that? Well, you know, these last 30 years have probably been just so incredible. I'm so joy-filled. I've done anything different. I actually... As you know, I'm a retired physician. I ended up giving up my medical practice to spread divine mercy. And uh, I have so many amazing stories and memories. Just uh, just incredible trips all over the world. Mm -hmm. um, great moments traveling with Father Minkalenko all over the world. And uh, it, it's just been a great ride. Yeah. And that you were, you've been at all of the, I believe, the World Apostolic Congresses on, on Mercy, right? I, I didn't make the first one. Okay. Um, due to some health problems, I it's interesting. In the uh, late 1990s, I traveled to Samoa and kind of brought Divine Mercy to the island of Samoa. Mm -hmm. The Polynesian Islands, the archbishop at the time fell in love with our work, mm -hmm. spread it over the islands. And he appointed a priest as spiritual director of Eucharistic Apostles. Well, when that archbishop died, Rome appointed, of course, a new archbishop, and um, it was became the priest who was uh, spiritual director for Eucharistic Apostles. Yeah. He continued to work all over the islands, and the next World Congress is actually going to be in Samoa. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you just uh, look back sometimes and think the fruits of one's effort efforts are amazing mm -hmm. and uh, it, it's just I, I just can't tell you uh, yeah. how much joy it brings me to see that the world congress is in samoa yeah that's that's in late may so this podcast might actually air after that but at this point now that we're as we're taping it we're looking forward to that that'll be i think a great event delayed it was supposed to be in 2020 but then of course the pandemic shoved that off as it did so many other things yeah, COVID, uh, of course, messed up everything, but, um, you know, hopefully we'll have it this year. Yeah. And the world can, that part of the world can fall in a deeper love with the divine mercy. Yeah. But, of course, COVID made this little booklet all the more relevant, praying at the bedside of the sick and dying. Uh, and, and that was part of your mission statement from way back. 
praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet for the sick and dying, especially during Eucharistic adoration. Talk to us about where the chaplet came from in the first place. Well, the chaplet originated from a vision St. Faustina had. The angel of wrath was ready to strike the earth for all of its sins, and she prayed and prayed and prayed, and her prayers had no effect. Mm -hmm. And then in her heart she heard the words, Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, you know, the words of the chaplet. Mm -hmm. And she recited those words, the uh, angel of wrath stood helpless. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, every time you enter this chapel, pray this prayer. And, you know, people think we have to pray it at three o'clock. Well, we do that because that's the hour of mercy. Mm -hmm. But actually, he told her to pray it all the time. And the Lord told... Faustina, that if you prayed the chaplet at the bedside of the dying, he would be there, mm-hmm. the merciful Savior, and not as a just judge. Hmm. Now, he also said in the diary, you know, pray for the dying. They have the most need of trust, and they have it the least. Because people are afraid of dying. They're afraid of looking back in their life, oh, I should have done this, I can't believe I did this, and would have done this, could have done this, and um, people have lack of trust. Mm-hmm. But we asked the Holy Father in, in 1999, what if we're not at the bedside? Mm-hmm. And he asked his theologians, and they all said the same thing. You do not have to be at the bedside in the eternal now with God. Everything is present. Mm-hmm. You know, say say I get a call that my son in Baltimore is in a bad wreck. I could pray the chaplet and the promises would still hold. Mm-hmm. Jesus would be at his dying bedside as the merciful Savior and not as a just judge. Hmm. And as I get older and, you know, I'm in the kind of last lap of a mile run here, I I certainly am going to be asking for a God of mercy and not of justice. Mm -hmm. But in return, the Holy Father said, I want you to spread people praying the chaplet in front of Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament for those sick and dying in that hour. Mm-hmm. And we have the papal blessing, and we send it to churches and chapels that want to participate. And we've got well over a thousand chapels mm-hmm. um, all over the world. Uh, cloistered nuns in Bangladesh, in India, and in Samoa, churches and chapels all over the United States praying for the sick and dying. It's a great work of mercy, really. Absolutely. Yeah, and a great consolation for those who have lost people in the last 20, 30 years. That's a lot of hope. So, And, they, and let me just say, mm-hmm. they say, you know, I, I wasn't at the bedside or, oh, he, he, was a, he was a sinner. He didn't repent it. But God's mercy is so great. We don't know what's going on. Uh-huh. And we know that he will be there as the merciful saving and that should all give us great confidence and hope yeah absolutely absolutely well and and i want to i want to get some more of faustina's experience of using the chaplet did she pray for the sick and dying faustina had a great love for the dying you know that's really other than your birth the most important moment of your life um when you're going to face the savior Mm -hmm. face to face and she would be bilocated to the bedside of the dying. On one occasion, the Lord said, help me to save this dying sinner. And she um, was taken to the bedside, 
And this man was very restless, agitated, uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And there were demons at his bedside. And she began to pray the chaplain. And as she did, Jesus appeared just as he is in the image. And uh, the demons fled and the person died a very peaceful death. And Chris, I can tell you, that story has been repeated so many times. People come up to me at conferences and events and tell me how they prayed the chaplet and their loved one died a very peaceful death. Mm -hmm. And it was another occasion. She was awake, awakened at the middle of the night. Here she is sleeping. She's awakened mm -hmm. by a nun who lived 100 kilometers away and says, pray for me, I'm dying. So she got got up, she got up and she went to the chapel and prayed until the person said, oh, thank you. You know, mm -hmm. it's over. And the next morning, all the nuns were in the breakfast room talking about, it, and oh, do you hear sister so-and-so died during the night? Mm -hmm. And Faustina knew all about it. But uh, yeah, she had a great love for the dying and her mission was God and souls. Mm -hmm. And so... It was only uh, appropriate that she would be concerned about the dying. Absolutely. Well, and, and who needs mercy more than the people in their last moments? Yeah, it's a critical time in our lives. And uh, just imagine Jesus being pure love. Mm -hmm. you know, God, is lo God is love. And here's pure love standing at you. And we know there are people that will still turn their face away from pure love, but having pure love at the bedside, I think all of us will, will just look with joy upon the merciful Savior and say, Jesus, I want to be with you. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. That's what we pray for, absolutely. Um, so you, you've mentioned that personally signed blessing, and you've kind of talked about how that, how that came about. That still applies. It's not a one-and-done sort of thing. It wasn't a blessing at the time. It continues to be a papal blessing, right? Yes, you know, it's a good question. People ask that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the Catholic Church, we, we don't believe things stop when we die. Mm -hmm. I think Teresa Lisieux wrote in her book, that memoirs, that my, my work will really begin in earnest mm -hmm. as I get to heaven. And, and so we're a big communion of saints, a family, yep. and the work goes on. And so we still ask Pope John Paul to intercede for the Lord, mm -hmm. to, the, to the Lord. And, and uh, yeah, the, the papal blessing is, is still effective and it plays a role in helping people mm -hmm. understand the great mercy of God. Okay. Well, and, and I suppose one might wonder if it was a little amped up now that he's a canonized saint. Yeah, that's certainly a, a plus, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, to, that we, we have three signed bless, blessings from the Holy Father on uh, our work, on praying for the sick and dying, mm -hmm. and then the last one is on praying for pro-life causes. Yep. So it's okay. really amazing. Now, how does a church or chapel reach out and, and receive copies of those? Well, they can go to the marianswithmercy.org, click on Eucharistic Apostles, and email me. Really, the only requirements are they ask the, their pastor mm -hmm. if he would frame it and encourage the doors to pray the chaplet during their hour of adoration. 
-hmm. It can be silent. It doesn't have to be out loud. Mm -hmm. And it's not just you have to pray for that intention alone. One includes all their own intentions, and uh, but just include that praying for those sick and dying, dying in that hour. Yeah. Have you have you personally ever prayed the chaplet at the bedside of someone who was dying? You know, I've been <coughs> excuse me. I've been blessed to pray for numerous people, mm -hmm. including my own parents, mm. um, which I thought was a great grace for all. Um, and again, just knowing that Jesus, as he is in the image, is standing right there. And we know where Jesus is, God the Father is, the Holy Spirit, the Blessed Mother, all the angels and saints. It's a beautiful spiritual event going on. And yes, I, I have prayed at the bedside and all died a peaceful death. Hmm. How much of, how much of the, the appreciation of the importance of that came from your medical career? Well, unfortunately, although it's all part of one's journey, I had a lot of, took care of a lot of dying people. People died in my arms. Mm -hmm. I was a digestive specialist. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I had people die in my arms. Sometimes they were friends of the family. Mm -hmm. And at that point in time, I was not there spiritually. And I didn't realize what was going on spiritually. Mm -hmm. And uh, all that was part of my journey into realizing that this is a major event in one's life and we can do an incredible yeah. work of mercy for that. And then I I just say, hey, you know, when you get to heaven, pray for us on earth mm -hmm. because we're always in a spiritual battle. You know, we're the militant church. Yeah. And we need, I need as much help as I can get. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing how... Um, the the preparation of devotion to the divine mercy really does i mean it it can make your life more complicated i'm sure you have stories of spiritual combat and the the difficulties that arise seemingly spontaneously in the course of this ministry but also just those profound moments of grace largely in in the lives of those around you often i think um it, it's it's one of the it's one of the kind of annoying parts of christian life i think that that we, you know, there's, he, he was very serious when he said, bear your cross. Um, there's something very literal about that. But also it's a source of tremendous grace, um, but often tremendous grace for others, not, not necessarily obviously for you. Okay, I, th I think of Bernadette Subiru with Lourdes and the water at Lourdes, the water is not for me. She, right. she brought this to the world. She was obedient to Our Lady, and yet she herself didn't receive the miraculous healing from the spring. Well, suffering is a great grace for mm -hmm. Faustina, and uh, I'm not quite there yet. But for, for right now, for instance, we're my own family's in a tremendous spiritual battle, and I look on it as uh, spiritual warfare, mm -hmm. and uh, it's it's hard to trust. But that's part of the message of divine mercy, and yeah. you know, tr trust is easy when everything's going well. Yeah. Trust is easy when, you know, the bills are paid and the kids are behaving and on and on it goes. Mm -hmm. But that isn't real life. And yeah. the human condition is such that we are going to make mistakes or, you know, health fails and on and on. Yeah. And we just have to say, Jesus, I trust in you and keep walking. But it's very difficult. Yeah. 
Well, and and I think that some people can hear this sort of recommendation of pray the chaplet at the bedside of the sick and dying and think, I, well, I, what's that going to do? But like you said, you've seen, you've seen the effects. You've seen how people pass with peace um, in ways that, given their suffering, given whatever came before, seemed unlikely. Um, I... I keep on thinking of some of these devotions, sort of like the when I believe it was Elijah that Naaman the Syrian approached, um, who is a leper, and he was looking for a cure, uh, and he he tried everything in his home country and went to the prophet Elijah and and heard from him the recommendation to go wash in the Jordan seven times, which the guy took as a brush off, it was just absolutely ticked off about this because aren't there better rivers in my home country and what? What on earth is the point of this? But his, his servants said to him, I mean, if he'd asked you to do something impossible, you'd do it. And isn't this worth a try? And so he goes and he washes and he's healed. And the same thing, I think, with some of these devotions, the chaplet, the rosary, they, they seem powerless. It seems impossible in our modern scientific age. And yet again and again and again, here at the shrine, many of the pilgrims are coming to say thank you because of some incredible grace they received. You have, I, I'm sure we could fill a book of the testimonies that you've heard or that you've been party to. Um, Wacom is is a gathering of people whose lives have been touched by this. Um, and, I, and I just, I, I feel it's so important to just remind people of that, that we're not just talking about a hypothetical kind of, this may work. We're talking about a thing where grace has come again and again and again to people. You know, Chris, the uh, praying for the dying is just, just a grain of sand mm -hmm. in the message of the divine mercy and the message of divine mercy as I get more and more into this and get older mm -hmm. I realize it's really a healing healing message yeah the, the great physician will heal you mm -hmm. and you know we've all made mistakes we all have regrets mm -hmm. um, some of us have anger issues some have addictions mm -hmm. on and on it goes yep and the Lord wants to heal us yeah. and be happy and just trust in him. Mm -hmm. Do our best and let God do the rest. Yeah. That's that's the beauty of the message of divine mercy. It's not just the image or the feast or the chaplet. It's mm -hmm. if you live this message, if you forgive, when things get tough, if you get down on your knees and pray mm -hmm. and give it all back to God and and be merciful to others. Yeah. God will bless you in so many ways. Mm -hmm. It's not that you're not going to carry your cross. Anybody in ministry know, knows that, yeah. that sometimes the cross gets bigger, yeah. but you now know how to carry it. Yeah. And and you get through it. And it's, it's, it's such a beautiful message of Jesus, the great physician, mm -hmm. healing our broken hearts. Yeah, and bringing healing to, to the broken hearts of others through our intercession, through our ministry, through our work, through the works of mercy. Speaking of which, your co-author, Kathy Wabick, has an apostolate dedicated to doing exactly this. Can you can you talk to us a little bit about the Disciples of Divine Mercy and the Holy Face of Jesus? You know, I met Kathy, I believe it was late 1990s. She, I don't know if Father Seraphim told her to call me, but her mother had died. Mm-hmm. And right before she died, her mother had this beautiful mystical experience. And um, she saw the gates of heaven open up. Mm -hmm. And she told Kathy to write down what she saw. 
And um, father told her, pray the chaplet for her. And she didn't know anything about the chaplet. Well, as things went on and on, Kathy realized the importance of the chaplet and, and death and, and grew in her own spiritual life. And, it, and then she started a ministry of going to the bedside mm-hmm. and praying the chaplet. It's, it's blessed by their bishop. And uh, so you got two components. You've got praying the chaplet during Eucharistic adoration mm-hmm. or the sick and dying. And then you've got small groups of pe- people in a parish who are actually being called. A family will call and say, "Take, can you come your group and pray for mom or dad at the bedside? And that's that's got a added bonus of being present. And that's what the church, I think, all of us need to do more mm-hmm. is be present, be yeah. present to people and, and let them know that, you know, it's all right. Mm-hmm. God is good and you'll get through this. Yeah. And just show them the love of a fellow Christian. Mm-hmm. And so that's her ministry. Uh, and she does this out of Buffalo, New York. And her ministry is Disciples of the, Jesus in the Holy Face. And, and more more effort or work and information can be found on her website at holyfaceministry.com. Okay. But they're doing great work up there. And so we're kind of hitting it at two sides. Mm-hmm. Adoration and then at the bedside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's such a, a generous thing to be willing to accompany someone else in those last moments. Uh, and and a, very, a difficult one to get right, um, something you'd have to do with a great deal of prayer and and care, I think. Um, now, yeah, you got spiritually uh, prepared because mm-hmm. um, tough work. There may be anger in families. There yeah. may be division in brothers and sisters. And so you have to have some formation and be really spiritually prepared because it's, it's difficult work. So mm-hmm. I would emphasize that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but this is one of those cases where anyone can help, even if it's just praying for the from their own homes, right? Right. Yeah. And people say, "Well, what can I do? I'm old and feeble and can't do this and that." And well, you can always pray. Yeah. And never underestimate the power of prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's something you can do from anywhere. There's a special grace, there's a special sense of presence and care by doing it at the bedside, certainly. But like you had said earlier, in the eternal now, our prayers are reaching God at the same time as the person suffering. That's right. And um, I think in today's world, as we get farther away from God, people say, oh, what's the use of prayer? Come on, get over it. We got to change the laws and we have to do this and we got to do this. Mm-hmm. Prayer Prayer is extremely powerful. I, on another show, maybe we can talk about that. Of yeah, miracles in my own life. Um, yeah. power of prayer is underestimated. Absolutely. Well, and and I think that one of those crucial things that people tend to forget that John Paul was so aware, Saint John Paul II was so aware of, was the importance of that new evangelization. That you had to help people return to the practice of the faith, return to the to the belief and the culture of the faith, a culture of life, and that without that, laws laws aren't particularly stable. Um, you can't you can't force a heart to convert. 
um, that's got to be force of reason only or the grace of God or both. Um, and so there is such a vital work of prayer preparing us for a culture of life, for a transformation of of the way that we we organize ourselves as a society. Um, go ahead. We need all the message of divine mercy is not something we want to keep to ourselves. Yeah. And as, as Jesus heals us, we become so filled with love and joy mm-hmm. and, and it, it radiates out to others. Yeah. It's like when the rays come from the heart of Jesus, it's not that our heart can only hold so much. It's like the heart gets bigger and bigger and then it overflows and we can't be quiet. Yeah. You know, we can't hide it. We can't, hiding under a bushel basket. So we do want to radiate the love out of Jesus. And that really, I think, will lead yeah. to a conversion of many, 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 many in the world. Even. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's not just a message for, for us. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're we're not allowed to be selfish with God's grace. Correct. So true. So true. Which then sort of I, I want to I want to push that a little bit. Many of us have relatives or friends who don't share the Catholic faith, haven't shared the Catholic faith. People who have, who have died or are are approaching the end of their life without having, kind of really had a, a life of faith. What reasons do we have to hope for their salvation? You know, there's an amazing quote in the Diary of Faustina, and again, this is a lady who only had two winters of education. She could barely read or write. Hmm. And the diary is so rich theologically. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she wrote in 1698. Now, this is the setting here was we think of a dying person who may have been away from the faith, lived a rough life, never had a chance to convert, and he's comatose or, you know, he's unresponsive. She she wrote, all is not lost. God's mercy sometimes touches the soul at the last moment in a wondrous way way and outwardly it seems as if, as if everything were lost but that's not so the soul illumined by a ray and this voice blew me away because he didn't say rays mm-hmm. it illumined by a ray of God's powerful grace turns to God in the last moment with such a power that it receives from God forgiveness of sin and punishment while outwardly it shows no signs because mm-hmm. it can't. It person's comatose. And so, oh, how beyond comprehension is God's great love and mercy. Mm-hmm. Although a person is at the point of death, the merciful God gives the soul that last interior vivid moment so that if the soul is willing, it has the possibility of returning to God. You know, it's like if you open the door of your heart, just a crack. Mm-hmm. That's enough for God's love and mercy to get in. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, we don't lose hope. And um, But again, sometimes we have to be the intercessor. Yeah. We stand in their place and we're praying for them. And it's, a, it's just a great work of mercy. And again, she said, all is not lost. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great promise. And the sort of thing that I think a lot of people have hoped for but it's different to hear it from a saint who is having visions of Jesus whom the church has canonized. It's so, so true because it just shows God's mercy is unfathomable. Mm-hmm. We'll never understand it. 
No mind, human, no angel will ever understand it. Mm -hmm. We just accept it. But mm -hmm. people have trouble accepting it, you yeah. know, or they're not humble enough to ask for it. But yeah. God's love, he loves us. It's, it's infinite. It's pouring out at all times. And he doesn't count the cost like we humans do, mm -hmm. you know. He just loves us unconditionally. He loves us. He hates the sin, but he loves us. Yeah. We have to remember that. Now, let me let me sort of play devil's advocate for a moment. Does prayer at the bedside of the sick and dying replace the anointing of the sick? Definitely not. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a work of mercy. Of course, the priest can't be at the bedside of every dying person. Mm -hmm. But it's important that healthcare workers particularly or those in nursing homes or loved ones who have terminally ill, you know, relatives and loved ones that they call for a priest for an anointing of the sick. Mm -hmm. There's two parts of the anointing of the sick from what I understand, and I'm not a theologian, but you have the forgiveness of sins, and then there's a prayer, the apostolic blessing the a priest can give that also takes all the remission of the punishment. Mm -hmm. So if the person gets both those and they die they're going right to heaven yeah that that again oh that's crazy that's it's crazy it's a crazy part of god's unfathomable mm -hmm. love for mankind yeah and um you know so and, and they're available we just have to make sure that the dying person has an opportunity to get the anointing of the sick and the apostolic blessing well and i think that ties back to I think there's been a real loss of the sense of the importance of the sacraments. I'm not quite sure where it stems from. I think it's some weird combination of the modern age and the Enlightenment and God only knows what else. But I think a lot of people in the United States especially think of it as magical thinking when this is really kind of the core of the reason why Christ gave us the church to have the sacraments age in, age out, to have his real presence in the Eucharist, to have the forgiveness of sins through confession and absolution, through the anointing of the sick at the end of life, blessing and strengthening marriages, giving us priests and, and deacons to, to bring us these sacraments. And I just, I'm, I'm always amazed at how I think anointing of the sick is either not thought of or it's, it's the last thing people think of, or they try to push it off. They don't think of it as, oh, I have a serious surgery, I should go get anointed. They think of it as, unless I am dying right now, we are not calling a priest. Right, right, exactly true, yeah, yeah. Which isn't, I don't think it's what the church intends. I think the church does intend for us to, to use that on a far more regular basis and to welcome those graces and to be strengthened by them, facing a lot of other of, other of our illnesses. So talk to me then about the responsibility of Catholic health care professionals or loved ones at the bedside who know about the importance of the sacraments to call a priest for the anointing for their sick or dying relative. Well, you know, it's such a period of high emotion, and uh, there, there could be so many things going on in the family. There may be brothers or sisters that are away from the faith, and, you, you know, they're afraid to call the priest because they haven't gone to church for years themselves. But... We have to understand this is such a critical point in a period's life and don't we all want to be together with our brothers and sisters and parents and grandparents in heaven one day and um the the, the beauty the beauty of all this i think chris is that it's just that 
an extension of God's love and mercy for all of us. And, you know, we don't need to be afraid of death. We're mortal bodies living in, we're spiritual beings, I should say, living in a mortal body. The body's failing. My body's failing. I'm getting up there in years. I'm slowing down, you know, and I can see it. And, and we're going to, we're all going to fall apart like an automobile. Mm -hmm. And, and, but the spirit lives forever. And so this is all part of the preparation. Jesus made us to know him and love him in this world and to be with him in the next. And we want all to be with him in heaven. And the message of divine mercy, again, the church, we, as you mentioned, we have these beautiful sacraments, these prayers. We have the saints who have gone before us who set tremendous examples of how mm -hmm. to keep going. We fall down, we get up, we fall down, we get up. That's what makes the saints. And so it's all part of a beautiful package. And Satan has done such a good job of taking people away from all this. And we're so caught up in the world and the fancy cars and the jewelry and the sporting events and making so much money that that's going to buy us happiness. Mm -hmm. And I think we all know that ain't the case. Yeah. So the healthcare professionals are in a unique position because they're dealing with the dying. Mm -hmm. And they just have to, have to know that they have to think about this because yeah. that's the probably the most important thing they can do mm -hmm. in their job is yeah. to help usher in some soul to heaven. It's not, it's more than about doing a good job, changing the bed sheets or making sure the IVs are running well, et cetera. Yeah. The big part of the game is helping them get mm -hmm. ushered into eternal life. Yeah, and I think one of the great ways to help healthcare professionals be prepared for this part of their role would be Marie's apostolate. Could you talk a little bit about that? Marie Romagnano is a nurse who started healthcare professionals and the point is really this, <clears throat> to help doctors, nurses, respiratory techs, anybody in healthcare to understand that we have to live the message of divine mercy. We have to be reflections of the image, icons of mercy in the workplace. It's such a high stress situation, but we have to be the ones to show these people the love of God. And they will say, wow, I want what you got. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, and, and then we talk to do things like praying, let them know you're Catholic. Don't be afraid to stand up for your faith. And, and if they're seriously ill and they've got, you know, talk to them. Where are you at spiritually? Uh, it, you know, open-ended questions. You have to be careful sometimes how you say it, but mm -hmm. you know, would you mind if I called a priest in, et cetera? So, it's getting back to the basics of what's the most important thing mm -hmm. in your in your job. It's not just a job, it's a vocation yeah. because you have a unique responsibility because you're being around dying people. Mm -hmm. so. Okay. And that's Healthcare Professionals for Divine Mercy. Um, now, one, one last question. You had in the course of the booklet, you mentioned the apostolic blessing or the apostolic pardon. What is that? That's a special prayer the priest says at the uh, anointing of the sick. And the sacraments, of course, and the uh, first part of the anointing of the sick will take away 
the forgiveness of sin, it, it forgives their sins, but the apostolic blessing actually, it's almost like a mercy Sunday where the slate becomes clean and um, all the temporal punishment due for our sins are wiped away. Mm -hmm. Just It's a beautiful short little prayer. And the priest says, through the holy mysteries of our redemption, may God Almighty release you from all punishments in this life and in the life to come. So, you know, as Catholics, we believe that the soul must be pure and white as snow to see God. So even though our sins are forgiven through the confession, there's still the stain of, of sin on our souls. And our souls have a purification process, a period and Catholics, we call all that purgatory. But in this prayer, he takes away the punishments in the life to come. May he open to you the gates of paradise and welcome you to everlasting joy. So it's actually just the same grace of mercy Sunday in that your soul is wiped clean. And when you die, then you will uh, go right to heaven. So it's mm -hmm. an incredible act of mercy. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that is such an important thing to remind people about. A lot of people don't remember indulgences or indulgence prayers these days or the importance of anything like that, but it really does matter for people passing swiftly straight on to heaven at the end of their lives. Well, Brian, thanks so much for talking with us today. Thank you for having me, Chris, and I look forward to chatting more again. Today I've been talking to Dr. Brian Thatcher, co-author with Kathleen Wabick of At the Bedside of the Sick and Dying, a guide for parish ministry, family, and friends. To order At the Bedside of the Sick and Dying, a guide for parish ministry, family, and friends by Brian Thatcher and Kathleen Wabick, please visit shopmercy.org. This has been Sparks of Mercy. Thanks for listening. Pray for me, I'll pray for you. Jesus, I trust in you. I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Thank you.